0: Welcome to the Booktopia podcast. I'm Ben Hunter, and I'm sitting here with Joel Naomi, and we are very happy to be across from Stan Grant, who's come to talk to us about his new book. Thank Australia. you, yeah, hey, welcome. To be here, yeah, thank
1: you very much. So, I wanted to start by asking, why now? This is a mm. book, a vital time, I guess. Um, but I wanted to kind of draw you out on what what you were thinking when you when you. Set pen to paper for this one, so I, to speak.
2: It's really the culmination of the past couple of years of thinking about these things. You know, I sort of I spent a lot of time away from Australia. Um, as a reporter, I worked out of Australia for half of my working life, and I was 14 years with, with CNN and um, uh, living in different parts of the world. And I came back to Australia and landed in Australia right at that Adam Goods. Affair was, was reaching its peak, and that led to my last book, Talking to My Country, where I really wanted to grapple with this idea about race and history and, and how those things hang so heavily mm. over us. And being an Indigenous person, how do I negotiate that? And having lived away from Australia and come back to Australia, you know, I'd, I'd reported from countries that were torn apart by issues of history and ethnicity, and race and then i came back to australia this incredibly prosperous cohesive successful multicultural country that itself is still torn apart by these issues and that led to talking to my country and in the years since then i've continued to to think about those issues to travel around australia to talk to different people to write about these things and this book is really the culmination of that process of trying to work through this, of writing about it, of thinking about it, of talking to other people. So I pulled together a whole lot of essays, speeches that I'd written, and I looked at them and, I, and there was a theme. And the theme was, who are we? Who are we? What, what is it to call yourself an Australian? With all of our history, with all of the challenges we have, what binds us together And how do we negotiate our troubled past? And all of that came together in this book. And why Australia Day? Because that's the day when we confront all of that. Mm -hmm. 26 January. What does it say about us? Why is there so much tension around this? How do we celebrate and remember and commemorate the darker sides of our past? Australia Day is the day when we ask ourselves the question that I sought to answer in this book who are we?
1: Mm. Yeah, that commemoration versus celebration, I think, is at the heart of this issue. What, what, how do you feel about Australia Day itself? Is it something that you think, do you fall down clearly on one side or the other of this debate? No, I don't.
2: Because, you know, yeah, we could move the date, but then what? Does that resolve 200-plus years of our history? Mm. Is it anything more than a symbolic gesture? And if it was moved, would the day not be reclaimed by darker forces in our society? Who want to reclaim it as a day of Australian nationalism or worse, white pride? Or can we live with the tensions of that day? That was the question that I came to. Is that does that day in fact tell us a lot more about ourselves? I am not a product. of of January 25, Mm. 1788. I'm a product of January 26, 1788. I sit here today as someone whose ancestry is drawn from both the ship and the shore.
1: Mm.
2: I had ancestors standing on the shore as the ships arrived and I had an ancestor, a convict Irish ancestor on the ship. I am drawn from Australian history. I am a son of the frontier. I don't come from what came before that. I'm a product of what happened on that day. I think that day holds all of our tension. And it doesn't have to be a destructive tension. It can be a creative tension. But we have to first ask this question before we talk about moving the date, before we look at, you know, what, what, how we deal with questions of our history and political issues. We have to ask a fundamental question about who we are and what does this day tell us about who we are, and that we can live with the tension. We can live with the antagonism. Not everything has to be reconciled, but there must be a sense of who we are as a people, the good and the bad. Absolutely.
1: I think that you write quite eloquently about this in the concept in your book about um, forgetting in order to forgive, Mm. which Mm. I found fascinating. And as soon as I'd read it, it kind of <laughs> found it difficult to rearticulate it to other people. Well, it's so, it's
2: a confronting idea. Yeah, and it's very confronting for me, as someone who, whose family has felt the full brunt of the worst of Australian history. You know, my family were the people shot on the frontier. We were the people um, poisoned, forced over the edges of cliffs, excluded from Australia, segregated, locked up. Dying too young, denied education. That is my story, that is my family's story. We have endured the worst of Australian history. But I also sit here today as someone who is, by any measure, a privileged Australian. Not just a privileged Indigenous person, a privileged Australian. I grew up in the back seats of cars and sawmill shacks, and I went to more than fifteen or sixteen different schools, constantly on the move. Extreme poverty, and I ended up standing in the Oval Office of the White House with Barack Obama, and the the the, the you know the Great Hall of the People in Beijing with Xi Jinping. I've travelled the world. I, I I lead an extraordinarily privileged life. How do I reconcile those two things? How do I reconcile a country? whose greatness and whose foundations of liberalism and democracy are liberating ideas that have allowed me to enjoy a world that I would never have imagined with the reality of a much darker history Mm. that sought to smash my culture and my family. They are difficult things to reconcile. And the question of forgetting really resonated with me. It come, comes out of the ideas of Ernest Renan, who is a French philosopher and, and historian, who in the 19th century wrote about this idea of nationhood. He wrote a famous essay, What is a Nation? And he said, a nation is founded as much on what we forget as what we remember. Mm-hmm. He said, you know, history can tear a nation apart. And we make choices all the time about what we seek to remember, what we seek to valorise, what we seek to commemorate and celebrate. Why Anzac Day over Kokoda? Um, why do we look to, you know, to celebrate things that speak to our sense of national identity and ignore other things that may be a bit more uncomfortable for us to grapple with? So we make choices about that all the time. And after reading and thinking about this, one thing became very clear to me is that you cannot have a reconciliation that is meaningful if you ignore the past. You can't have that. But you can't have a reconciliation that is meaningful either if you continually prosecute the past, if you live endlessly with grievance and resentment. And, you know, the the conflicts that I've covered around the world have been conflicts rooted in a sense of historical grievance. It's the story of our times. You know, this is what's driving a resurgence of populism and sectarianism and nationalism in our world today. It's what pitted Hutu against Tutsi in Rwanda. It's what pitted people against each other in the Balkans. It's why Xi Jinping tells the Chinese people, never forget the 100 years of humiliation. The 100 years' of humiliation by foreign powers. Remember what they, they did to us. Vladimir Putin talks about the collapse of the Soviet Empire as the great catastrophe of the 20th century. Recep Tayyip Erdogan in Turkey says to people, remember the Ottoman Empire. And Islamic State says, remember the caliphate. And Donald Trump says, make America great again. And Brexit voters say, we want to reclaim our country. Grievance, resentment that tears people apart. And as someone who is born out of that tension, I have to make a, a decision about how I reconcile in a way that is healthy and helps to build peace rather than fan resentment and anger that leads to violence. It is a tough, tough question to ask yourself.
1: Absolutely. Uh, you quoted my, uh, and I can't remember who said it in your book, the um, About the monuments, we should raise a monument to amnesia. um, Ah, yes, it was an Irish. Forget where we where we. It was an Irish
2: politician. We should, yeah, we should, you know, raise a monument to amnesia and then forget where we put it. Yeah, (laughs) Um, because we we do memorialise our past, and we often memorialise our past through conflict and war. And inevitably, they can become symbols. that can become so divisive. And we've seen that in the United States, with you know what happened in Charlottesville mm-hmm. and the debate about statues and what do statues mean. Um, we've seen that in other parts of the world as people are railing against issues of empire and colonialism and and historical oppression and the and the symbols of that historical oppression. We have that in Australia around the, the Captain Cook mm. um, debate that I was directly involved in when I wrote a piece that said. In America, they confront the darkness of that history, often in a very violent way. Mm. In Australia, we've preferred to silence it. We've preferred to just push it aside. Let's not not go there. Let's not ask those questions. But if we are to fulfil the full promise of Australia, we can't ignore those questions either. Mm. We have to grapple with what we are saying about ourselves when we choose to memorialise... Um, the discovery, in inverted commas, of Australia by Captain Cook, an important and foundational story in Australia at the expense of also acknowledging that there were people here for 60,000 plus years who suffered as a result of that. How do we reconcile those two things? Um, And how do we do that in a way that does not pick endlessly at the open wound of the past, that doesn't seek to identify us with grievance and resentment to the extent that it poisons the relationship between us. But if that's the challenge of living in a nation, this is what confronted Desmond Tutu and Nelson Mandela after the end of apartheid. Mandela could have lit a fire and set, you know, the country ablaze. There was anger, there was resentment at the way people have been treated. And what did he seek to do? He sought the greater peace, the greater justice of actually binding a country together. They had a Truth and Reconciliation Commission, not a Truth and Justice Commission. Mm -hmm. And there is a difference. In Truth and Reconciliation, they allowed the stories to be told in a cathartic way that freed everybody. They weren't going to prosecute the people who were necessarily responsible for the crimes of apartheid. They wanted to, to allow people to speak the truth and then to build a country based on a new truth. And that's a much harder thing to do when our human impulse is for vengeance and resentment and to prosecute those wounds, it is a much, much tougher course to elevate yourself to the ideal of peace beyond vengeance and resentment.
1: Absolutely. And I, you talk about the kind of symbolis- empty symbolism of reconciliation's mm. history in Australia. Yeah. And I guess this ties into that idea that you you would prefer, from what you're saying, I think. To re articulate yeah. what you saying, to live in the tension rather than have live in the empty. tension.
2: Exactly. I think what reconciliation has become, it's become a, it's become a benign concept. Uh, it's something that is seen as smoothing out the differences mm. between us. It's one of the, um, it's one of the challenges of liberalism, in a sense. Liberalism is is about rem- removing tension. It is about erasure erasure of identity, erasure of history. Um, let's move, it's a, it's a progressive idea that you move forward beyond race, ethnicity, culture, history, that you can liberate yourself from those things. And I think that's a, that's a wonderful idea and ideal, but at the same time, it can also mean that you run the risk of silencing the past, and not allowing those stories to be told. And I think the challenge for us in reconciling in Australia is to be able to hear the stories, allow people to speak to the true history of Australia in a way that sets us free rather than ends up prosecuting those wounds over and over again. Um, Reconciliation as we know it in Australia has always been a very fraught and very benign concept. It it grew out of failure. Uh, In the 1980s, the Hawke government had promised treaty with Indigenous people, quickly abandoned that idea in the face of opposition, and instead said, we'll have a process of reconciliation. And that immediately became something that was emptied of the political antagonism that we would have had to confront around issues like treaty. And what has ultimately become has become something that is much more associated with symbolic gestures of national apology, of welcomes to country, of socioeconomic uplift, how, you know, let's create more jobs, let's have more cultural understanding, but not dealing with the fundamental political question of the rights of Indigenous people. Australia was taken. There was an invasion. People's land was stolen and people have paid a price because of that. Um, and there are rights that emanate from that. We know, you look around the world, in North America and in Canada and in, in New Zealand, where there is reconciliation with indigenous peoples, it is founded on a recognition of the fundamental rights of those people. People have political rights, and we've never grappled with that in a meaningful way. We don't have treaties. We've still failed to have proper political recognition at constitutional reform and recognition. Aboriginal people do not have a political voice that represents their aspirations in this country the emphasis has been much more on assimilation rather than acknowledgement of the self-determination of people, and that those two things don't have to be mutually exclusive. Indigenous people can be active members of the broader Australian population, but within that have unique rights that pertain to Indigenous people because they are the first peoples of Australia. So until we deal with the political rights that Indigenous people have in Australia that are recognised in other parts of the world. We cannot have a meaningful reconciliation beyond gestures and symbols.
0: Yeah, I was having a um, conversation um, on a camping trip over the weekend with a a guy friend of mine who um, is very um, uh, out there in his opinions. Mm -hmm. I'll, I'll just say that much. In, in
2: in a in which way? Out there in a provocative, yeah, um, he,
0: he, will, he will nationalistic way or a um he no he, he he um positions himself as a very progressive person, right? But um if you dis- if you say something he disagrees with, he'll he'll arc up in a terrible way. So he, he, he's <laughs> one of those people who kind of positions himself as I'm so open, I'm so liberal, but. Um, yeah. <laughs> will we'll attack you if you um, step one side of him or another or, or, or pick him up on something. Um, but anyway, I'm um, <laughs> just complaining. Um, we, we were having some drinks and we, we um, sunk into some kind of cynicism in discussing um, the state of the nation and our politics and the coming election. And he was positing this idea that um, our government... And our leaders love the debate about Australia Day. They mm. they they love the turmoil that we've gone through mm. over the date, over the symbol of, of mm. the date, and how um, that is a um, distracting force that can keep that, that can keep us away from all those great constitutional true. rights. It's a, it's a culture war that costs nothing.
2: It costs politicians nothing to have that debate every January 26th. And frankly, it costs and asks nothing of activists to have that debate as well. It it is emptied of significance and meaning because you don't have to do anything. You know, you can protest and you can burn an Australian flag and you can rail against Australia or you can go out and you can, you know, adorn yourself in in an Australian flag and, you know, and and have a barbecue by the beach. But it doesn't do anything. It doesn't cost anything. And politicians, you know, they, they, they take up their, their political positions on the left or the right or wherever they may be. And they can speak to that and it's a cultural issue, but it doesn't demand anything of them. And I think in this book, I want to look beyond that and say, no, no, we have to, we have to demand something of ourselves. Mm. And I think for me, as someone who is, and I position myself in this book, Right at the centre of Australian history and 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 life and identity, Mm. I am Aboriginal and non-Aboriginal. I am black and white. That tension lives in me. I would not. I could not. And I say this right at the start of the book. I could not have been created anywhere else on Earth. Not in Ireland. Not in Britain. And not just exclusively in Australia either. I am not exclusively connected to the 65,000 years of tradition. That is part of my tradition. But I'm also connected to Ireland and the struggle against the British domination of Ireland. And an Irish rebel convict set out here for fighting the British who comes to a new land and starts a new family. All of that history and tension lives in me. The empty gestures and cultural debates around Australia Day and the symbol of Australia Day, don't speak to that tension that lives in me and lives in the country. We have to do something about that. And I think what inspires me and challenges me, keeps me up at night, is this idea of liberalism, liberal democracy, and can that exist, can that continue to exist in the world that we have today? Liberalism is a, is a liberating idea. I still believe that liberal democracy is the highest form of political organization. But liberalism that has worked for Australia and for the majority of Australians has not necessarily worked for Aboriginal Australians. So how do we take those ideas and apply them to this issue with a way of finding a road map through this contentious past to the idea of of a liberalism that is bigger,
0: Mm. that
2: can deal with, that isn't just about the rights of the individual, which is a, a fundamental tenet of liberalism, but can also incorporate the rights of groups. And within those groups, free the individuals within those groups to be able to be liberated to pursue whatever they wish to pursue in life. Mm. that's the challenge of liberalism liberalism right now is under threat around the world the resurgence of, of authoritarianism totalitarianism tribalism, sectarianism, nationalism tearing at the fabric of the liberal idea the rise of China is now presenting a viable alternative in fact much greater a viable alternative than the Soviet bloc communism of the Cold War at the same time that liberalism is under attack within democracies and democracy is in retreat and and borders are going back up and people like Viktor Orban in Hungary are now talking about illiberal democracy. How does Australia, which is founded on the idea of enlightenment liberalism, maintain the truth and the value of that idea, but in a way that can also acknowledge the failings of its past and be big enough to include people who are excluded from Australian liberal democracy. That's the big idea in this book, and that is a much, much harder question to answer than should we move the date, or should we just man the barricades on January 26th, and then when, you know, when you've taken down the placards or you know, you've put away the barbecue, we just go back to life as normal. Mm. It's a much bigger question to ask whether our political system, the foundations of this nation, can survive, are they going to be big enough to be able to deal with our past and build a much more secure and inclusive future?
1: Absolutely. So operating on that idea of well, moving down from the, the political to the personal mm. and the progress you've made between your first book mm. this. You write in the first book about you know Australia being you know, we lived in Australia, but Australia was not for yes, us. Yes, yes. Australia you, was for white
2: people. Yes, yeah. what I said. Yeah. And
1: you felt, and you seem to have moved on from that in a way. In this book, yeah. uh, I wanted to see if we could finish, perhaps, on, on yeah. the idea that of, of your own personal sense that's of a great, Australian identity. That's a
2: great question, and I'm glad you picked up on that uh, because this is a journey. No one should ever draw a line through their ideas and say, "That's it." You know, I'm not moving from this position. That's intellectually dishonest. Um, Part of coming to terms with history, my place in this country, looking to a future, is to go back and to re-examine my ideas. You know, part of writing this book was to not just travel around Australia, to speak to people, to be involved in political discussion and debate, but to go inside myself and to ask hard questions about myself. Am I... As I said in talking to my country, and I don't resile from this, I still feel this way even as I try to work my way through it. Am I just a product of history? Am I a prisoner of the past? Am I... As Nietzsche, Nietzsche talked about the man of resentment, He preferred the French term to the English because it, it, it was more than mere resentment. It was the identity that is forged out of the, the endless prosecution of the past that this person is a prisoner of the past, That is vengeance that, that beats at the heart of their identity. And it's not even about a quest for justice. It's about the prosecution of vengeance. And I do ask myself, is that what I am? Is that how I want to see myself? Is that what I want for my children? Does that speak to the reality of my life today? And it doesn't. So how do I take what's happened in our past that still impacts directly on the suffering of Aboriginal people in in the present and try to move that to a place in the future when we can move beyond that. And I think that the connecting tissue in all of this is the idea of liberalism and democracy. You know, I had to ask myself, does this work for us? Do I truly believe in this? Can I be a man of the dreaming and the enlightenment? Are those two things antithetical? And they're not. They're not antithetical. That the idea of liberalism is something that elevates us as human beings, It civilises us as human beings. It's what Kant talked about with his idea of perpetual peace, the idea that we can live free of the ball and chain of a permanent and everlasting minority. When he spoke about minority, he meant childhood, but that's what we're talking about, a political childhood that keeps you trapped in your tribalism. I've tried to write myself free write myself free of identity, free of tribalism, free of history to a future where we can find ourselves together despite our differences. That's what Australia Day represents. That's the challenge of Australia Day. As I've gone back and I've, I've reread the things that inspired me. I've gone back to the philosophers that challenged and inspired me. I asked hard questions of myself. I looked at the reality of my life. I looked at what's happening in our world today and we are at a juncture we are at a critical historical point our world could change and it could change rapidly we could lurch back into tribalism sectarianism nationalism authoritarianism you know totalitarianism so easily and we're seeing it and if we believe in liberalism and democracy we have to plant our flag and and we have to fight for that and in australia fighting for that means as an Aboriginal person, as a person who draws their heritage from both white and black, it is who we are as a nation. And is that a big enough idea to deal with the past, to fully recognise the rights of Indigenous people, but also bind ourselves to a common identity, a civic identity as Australians, in spite of all our differences? That's the journey I've been on.
1: And it's a fascinating journey. I loved the book. Oh, thank you very much. And um, it's really compelling and generous. So I, I hope so. To thank I hope you it was generous. <laughs> that, that's what I wanted it to be. Thank you. For writing it and and thanks to, for speaking to us today. Pleasure. Thank you very much. Thanks.
0: And you can buy Australia Day by Stan Grant as well as all of his other books and essays at booktopia.com.au right now.
1: Thanks for listening to the Booktopia podcast. Don't forget to subscribe to us on SoundCloud and iTunes. And if your eyeballs need a workout, check us out on YouTube at Booktopia TV. And don't forget for all books featured on this episode and all episodes of the Booktopia podcast, head to Booktopia, Australia's local bookstore, at www.booktopia.com.au. Thanks for listening.